This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Hansen. Thurley Ruxton by Philip Virrell Miguels. Chapter One A Sunset. At the end of a perfect day in June, with indolent warmth and perfume in the air, New Haven Harbor was a theater of color, life, and song. The sun splashed the dancing tides with gold, vermilion, liquid fire, and blue. A hundred rose-white wings of yachts, canoes, and catboats were lifted gracefully against the empurpling shadows as they glided to and fro in the paths of pleasure, and a crew of lusty college youths sang tuneful melodies which floated on the lazy breeze in charming harmony with hour and scene and season. It was one of those evenings perilous throughout the world in which the very atmosphere becomes the subtlest of love's filters, and youth rises gladly to the draft. Among the winged watercraft was one particularly striking sloop, fast parting the ripples of amethyst and green as she slipped straight homeward toward the landing stage, which was still half a mile to the lee. It was not that the sloop was extra large, it was merely that her sails were gorgeously tinted in the manner of boats that ply the waterways of Venice. It was a wonderful tint of orange she spread against the sky, with a strange device in gold far up in the peak of her canvas. In the glory of the sun's last riot of color, she seemed some fragment of the sea and sky's mosaic, blown adrift upon it all and bearing away to the green of the wooded shores. And, as if to complete her perfections in the scene, her slender red tiller lay snugly in the palm of a girl of exceptional beauty. It was Thurley Ruxton bare of arm and bare of head, with her eyes gazing straight past Gaylord, sitting near, to the landing-stage for which she was skilfully heading. What a marvel of colors she presented! Her hair was gold, absolute gold, of astonishing luxuriance and luster. Her eyes were the deepest of chocolate brown. Her brows were almost black and arched with exquisite lightness of outline. In her cheeks glowed the warmth of a soft red rose against a white rose tint of neck and chin. Her lips, which outreddened the sunset's own vermilion, were slightly parted over teeth of daintiest regularity and pearliness. Her costume of gold-brown pongee silk with a tiny crimson tie, found the most engaging completeness in her little red low-cut shoes near the big shining brown ones of Gaylord. The boat was Gaylord's tigress. Thurley had sailed it before, while he, as now, had sat there to watch her in his calm, unemotional manner, nodding approval from time to time with an air of conceited lordship over all. 
Perhaps there was something in this lordship attitude that appealed to Thurley's nature. She was capable, fearless, and self-reliant herself, and such a woman loves in a man the strong, primordial assumption of ownership. She had, however, loved him from the first, and five long months of consent in her heart had effaced all possibility of analysis, either of her own emotions or of Gaylord's character. She was happy in his presence, particularly happy here this evening, and that was almost enough. The fact that no actual pledge had passed between them was the least of her negligible worries. By a thousand signs she felt secure in possession of his love. Despite the fact that her gaze was apparently fixed on the shoreward course, she was watching him now and thrilling anew as she felt his frequent glances fall upon her. She met one such look with all the glory of her eyes, giving him generously the fondness, the admiration, the confession of her inmost self, while a warm tide of color rose to her face from the quick, happy tripping of her heart. He was handsome, big, and athletic, a smooth-shaved, blue-eyed fellow of robust health and color, with the blackest of hair and the straightest, most perfect of features. In his white flannel suit, immaculate and absolutely faultless, he fitted a niche on his spotless sloop as a diamond fits in its setting. He was possibly a trifle over-perfect, a condition due, perhaps, to lifelong familiarity with wealth and all its tendencies to focus one's attentions on oneself. But Thurley was gratified, thoroughly, in all the demands of her being. He was a splendid product of the very latest moment. She loved him, and heavens! What a setting for love was this tropic water, air, and sky. A catboat crowded full of Eli's joyous sons went frothing by not twenty yards away. With one accord the boyish skipper and his company swung off their caps to Thurley, calling out in gladness of the meeting, and all were repaid by her friendly smile, despite their deep-laid envy of Gaylord. They were gone in a moment, yet in Thurley's heart they left exaltation. She was honestly glad to be popular, glad to be admired, and glad to know what homage she declined from day to day in her absolute devotion to himself. The more she could bring him of these gifts refused, the more precious she would be in his sight and to be to him dearer than all the world, to be as priceless in his daily estimation as he had become to herself. This was the dream for which, at last, she had given the kiss that symbolized to her the custody of all her sacred being. Yet the look she beheld in Gaylor's face uh, when the boys had surged by in their course was needlessly inscrutable, even to her unexacting mind. But the end of the cruise was at hand. She guided the sloop with automatic skill, doubling round to come up in the wind, and so make the landing at the stage. 
then at last she observed as they neared their goal the tall slender figure of major john phipps as he lifted his hat in salute if a momentary twinge of disappointment occasioned by gaylord's neglect to snatch at a moment in which to murmur some sweet bit of nothingness all for themselves slightly coloured the joy of the outing's end she cast it aside with other trifling flaws in the deep-lying pleasure of the hour the sloop nosed quietly up beside the planks and was caught by the jackie there in charge the major his face aglow beneath his crown of snow-white hair and overhanging brows stepped like the veriest young gallant to the rail to offer a hand for thurley's disembarking by pollux he said you manage a boat like a master miss ruxton yes you do i swear i've been watching watching for the last fifteen minutes superb how are you acton how do you do okay responded gaylord succinctly thanks thoroughly gave one hand to gaylord and the other to the major and bounded out upon the stage she was smiling in genuine pleasure it's the tigress you find superb she said superbly trained and tamed but thank you major phipps i shall treasure your compliment most highly i meant it miss thurley i meant it all declared the major earnestly let me add in proof of my sincerity that i'm looking out for a clever young woman to steer the course of my literary labors down at my new york headquarters and i said to myself as i saw you bring in the tigress now there's the young woman for the business i did by pollux i said so emphatically gaylord was looking at him stonily thoroughly slightly colored why but oh what an idea excellent i call it excellent continued the major someone said you're teaching french and german here miss thoroughly limited field and probably quite inadequate remuneration for any young woman of your ability takes brains you know to sail a sloop i wish i might prevail upon you now right here to undertake the guidance of my labors well that of course if you uh, he left it unfinished as he noted on her cheeks the tell-tale banner of color gaylord was still dumb and staring you are very very thoughtful said thurley quietly turning a momentary glance on gaylord but i fear i shall have to <laughs> she paused and the moment grew embarrassing uh, I, oh i see i see said the major hurriedly reddening himself and smiling understandingly on them both by pollux of course pardonable blindness i trust uh, no such oversight intended glad to know you'll uh, <coughs> guide a far more oh, yeah, poetic uh, oh, but i assure you i feel my loss keenly miss thurley very keenly indeed especially after i'd made up my mind to uh, but uh, acting uh, what a gorgeous sunset very fine said gaylord and he took out his watch and gave it a glance with a barely perceptible show of impatience the sunset reminds me major that we must hurry said thurley feeling some constraint in gaylord's manner thank you very much and good-bye 
she held out her hand which the major took for a momentary pressure and when they had gone he stood gazing earnestly on the regal young figure of the girl at gaylord's side as the two walked away toward town End of chapter one